Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Brian Nutwell. And I'm Drew Perot. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a wonder tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Wonder Tour is back with The Dark Knight Rises Part 1. We've got Derek back since we're doing another Christopher Nolan movie. You know how we love those here on Wonder Tour. This episode is going to be about how to climb out of a pit. Throughout our lives, we can all end up in the proverbial pit. Generally, we might lose our sense of purpose. We might become jaded about our ability to make a change in the world and to make an impact on the people around us. And we have to figure out a way to climb out of that pit. In The Dark Knight Rises, we see multiple climb sequences going on. In the beginning, Bruce starts out in his first small world, Wayne Manor. Bruce is avoiding pain, he's fighting against things, but not really fighting for things. He's kind of been beaten down coming out of the Dark Knight movie, where he's taken the fall for Harvey Dent in order to bring what he thinks is hope to people. We kind of find this world, though, in the first half of The Dark Knight Rises, where everyone's wearing a mask. We see the overt scene with the masquerade, with Selina Kyle and all the elites and Bruce Wayne there wearing these literal masks. But we also have this figurative mask of lies that everybody's wearing. Commissioner Gordon is wearing this mask where he's not telling the truth about Harvey Dent and the inmates that are locked up in Blackgate Prison and Batman. We have Bruce breaking out of that small world, partly through his conversation with Alfred. And then we have the big climb out of the pit that Bruce has, where he's literally in Bane's pit. And he has to come out of this physical and spiritual hole that he's in in order to rise up and start a magnanimous revolution to save Gotham. Welcome to Wonder Tour. This is Brian. I'm here with Drew, and we've uh, had Derek climb out of his very own pit to join us for a special episode. So welcome back, Derek. Hey, it's Getty back, guys. I yeah, had some audio problems this morning, and I guess I was in a USB-C pit of despair there for a bit. So uh, successfully branched around that. Here I am. I've overcome my fear of not having something to speak into. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> Who was your Alfred? Uh, oh, my Alfred. Um, it, it could have been all those upgrading and repairing PC books that I read back in the day. So I don't know if anybody's ever... <laughs> Seen those are about two or three inches thick, but they were uh, quite the bane of my existence and simultaneously something that saved me. So computer wisdom available at Micro Center probably still. But I'm saying, <laughs> yes, DIY computer repair, less of a commonly needed skill. All right, let's talk about the Dark Knight Rises here. So we have, as Drew enunciated in our intro, We've got sort of everybody lying to themselves and to each other at the beginning of this movie, and it's not going particularly well for any of them, although they have this tenuous stasis in Gotham City. And so that's one of the things I think we wanted to talk about a little bit was this idea of why people, why are they lying to themselves? What do they think they're getting out of sort of playing along with the, oh, Harvey Dent was a really great guy, and oh, the world doesn't really need Batman, and oh, I'm actually, a, you know. Every character in the movie's got some angle that they're running, but they're not willing to own up to it. So what are they getting out of it? I think they're trying to seed hope and belief in the general population in Gotham. At least to me, when we get that initial address from Commissioner Gordon, it seems like we're just trying to hold everything all together. 
All right, Derek, what do you got? So what we we got we got people lying to themselves and lying to each other. Well, I mean, I I think that there's a I think that goes on a lot in the world, to be honest. Unless you are truly magnanimous and you are selfless, I think you want to take advantage of the weakness, the structural weaknesses of situations. And a truly magnanimous leader wants to fix the structural weaknesses in situations and make sure that people are able to be pulled through. However, in this case, that's not the case, right? We, we that's, have not a, where, that's not where we find our, our characters, right? None of them are ready a, to do that. Yeah, we kind of have a stereotype of Gotham City where it's just perpetually corrupt, right? And then there's these cycles of that. And uh, so I, I think that's what's going on here. I don't think anything's really that different. It's just, it's like uh, Hydra, right? <laughs> Chop off one head and another one grows back. Well, and this for me, this calls back to the Casablanca conversation that I had with Drew a couple weeks ago about, you know, you get in these environments where everyone in the environment is forced kind of by the structure of the environment to toe one line publicly and sort of suppress whatever it is that they actually want. Or even, you know, in, in that example, they're the, the successful characters are the ones who revel in being duplicitous, right, who are like, I'm really clever because I figured out how to say one thing to one set of people and one thing to another. And you can tell you're in that environment when you've got a leader or a successful person who is brazen about the fact they're saying one thing one place and a different thing somewhere else, that they're, you know, that they're kind of, they have to hold that conflict in their life to be able to move forward. And so we see a bunch of characters, even characters that we like doing that right, you know, at the beginning of this movie. Probably Gordon's the best example, right? Where he's towing the line of Dent was a great guy and Gotham's in a really great place. And we know that the first part's a lie. We know that Dent was not a great guy and that he wasn't the hero that saved Gotham. But the second part about like, oh, this kind of quiet, calm, static version of the world that we've crafted. Oh, this is really great. We can't mess this up because it's 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 working. Everything is you know, there's no bad things actively happening. So we, we can't mess that up. Right. And that's the failure mode that everybody's in here is like they've they've sort of bought into the pit. Like, OK, great. Well, you know, nobody's climbing up and nobody's actively punching me right now. So I think it's good. Let's just not screw it up any further. Well, and you see that in parallel that with that newer Batman where they had the foundation and everybody was just, you know, pillaging that foundation for whatever they could get. So it is a narrative. I think that it exists pretty heavily in this idea of Gotham City, a.k.a. New York City. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I, I find it interesting that there is a tension between hope and belief on the outside of this. And I think hope and belief turns the heat up on that structural issue where you've got compartments of filth, basically, and mm -hmm. hope and belief turn up the heat structurally on that. And I think that's a really neat story here. And I think that's what Batman does as far as his role to play in all this and why he exists. So we had a little bit like of an existential beginning, right? Where that's the tension in this movie, which is like, there's always a question of whether he needs to exist or not, right? Drew, what do you think? Batman is a symbol. We see that a number of times in this trilogy, that type of terminology used. He's really meant to be a symbol. He said, I could be anyone. And it's actually contrasted with the person who is the trigger man or trigger woman on the nuke, right? It's like, it could be anyone. It could be anyone. <laughs> I think it's pretty clearly supposed to be in contrast to Batman could be anyone. And the idea is that Batman is hope, just like the trigger is the opposite of hope. The trigger is destruction of everything. The trigger is like a fake hope. So I think for me, everybody's just grasping at hope in the beginning of this movie, just trying to hold it all together, but they're not aligned. The hope that people are grasping for is not genuine in a lot of cases. 
they're just searching for the first thing they can find converging on, you know, oh, without the bat signal, what do we do? And like you said, Derek, they're kind of just dealing with the absence of Batman and the fact that whether you liked him or not, he served as this symbol that people could rally around in order to do good things. And with him gone now, Harvey is kind of a fake version of that symbol. And I think we really need to be careful in our lives about that exact moment coming up where we talk about this before, but, you know, doing the the wrong thing for the right reason, how that usually ends up in <laughs> everything falling apart. So I'm going to assert something here then is not controversial, I think, but I, I want to say that the problem here at the beginning of the movie is that very, very few of the characters have hope. So basically use an analogy from our, you know, the data science or simulation world, right? Like, Everybody believes they're at the global maximum. Like everybody's like, it couldn't be better than this. Anything, any different from where I am right now is worse. If I tell the truth about Harvey Dent, if I try to go do something in the world, if I try to quit what I'm doing now, it'll get worse. Like I'm at the best stasis that I can find. So I'm just going to try to stay here. And so some of the characters are like Selena Kyle, who are very skillful at it and kind of reveling in it. Like she's trying to fix her own personal problem, but she's decided that the only way she's got to do that is to steal things from people by lying to them and work with the worst people in the city to try to get what she wants. Even the skillful characters are playing the game of the world can't be any better. So I just have to navigate, which is a very Casablanca thing. Right. And probably the only characters that haven't bought into that yet are Alfred, because that's his role. Like he just believes in people and he especially believes in Bruce and the, the young detective or young cop, you know, the rookie who's like, no, wait, I still want to believe in Batman. Like, Part of the reason nobody has hope is because they had this hopeful figure and then it was cast as, oh, a failure. Oh, Batman actually turned out to be a murderer and a horrible person and it's good that he's gone. Well, if I can't even believe in Batman anymore, then like I'm not going to bother. So there very few of them are even looking for something. And it's the two characters that are still looking for something, that are still believing that we're at a local maximum, but there's probably a better one out there. You know, we have to get off of this hill to go find it. It's Alfred and the rookie cop that really disrupt things in small local ways. And then then we get the external force. Then we get Bane coming in and, you know, things start to really unravel and everybody stops believing that they're even at a good point. So then they're sort of forced into action. And I think that maybe is a real thing. So I want to hear about what you guys think about that sense of like you're kind of willing to hold it together, you know, in, in a, you know, in your own life or in a business sense. If it's good enough, like you're not willing to, to mess it up. But if it gets messed up, you know, you get pushed off a top dead center, then you're sort of forced to go look for like, all right, well, let me really reexamine my choices and my options and what the what the best state is we could get to. You can't be afraid to screw it up anymore because it got screwed up anyway. Well, I think that's where you, you know, you really got to consider, should you put your hope and belief in another person? You got to be really careful about making that decision, because if you do and that person falls apart, so I would prefer, I think, a more resilient angle on that would be to put your hope and belief in ideals. And I don't want to say concepts because that's kind of weird, but, but about principles, right? If we look at Alfred, Alfred always survives. Why does Alfred always survive? The man is content, right? And he also has the utmost of hopes and beliefs and ideals. And I think that's where there's a huge deficit, right? In the typical setup, which is there's no one who believes anymore. And it's it's just all these relationships and they're all breaking down because all these people are seriously broken and messed up. And I don't know. I think that's part of it. What do you think, Drew? 
I think this is winding us on our own climb up the mountain near to the mountaintop. So I want to introduce the mountaintop. I think what you guys are saying is helping us to get here, that we have this fragmented hope. Everybody has their own kind of small coordinate system that they're looking at hope on, and they're just looking for a local version of hope because that global version of hope being the bat signal that they used to have is gone. So some people are looking for Harvey Dent. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's still looking for like the traces of Batman. And what is Alfred doing in this situation? That kind of takes us to our mountaintop because Alfred is kind of continually this magnanimous leader across this series of movies. He is leading from the bottom as a servant, both in his like profession slash role kind of a thing that he plays, as well as from his character archetype. So, Brian, do you want to introduce us to our mountaintop moment? Yeah. So Alfred is, you know, he's he's the conscience of this of the Batman universe, right? Like he's the one voice that was there from the beginning and, you know, and, and always believes in you. But this is an interesting moment where we see kind of the Alfred and Bruce, uh, you know, they have they break up, right? The situation has gotten so bad. Bruce is so stuck in his ways. The world so clearly needs a different pattern of behavior that Alfred's willing to, he, he makes his own sacrifice. He gives up his relationship with Bruce. He inflicts pain on somebody that he loves dearly by revealing some facts about how, you know, the version of the of history that Bruce had been telling himself wasn't true, that he didn't know the full, the full version. But again, revealing a truth about the world, knowing that it means that he can't go on being Alfred anymore, that he can't go on being the loyal, effective conscience anymore. Because he's got his eyes on a bigger goal, like he's empathetic towards Bruce, but he also knows that Bruce needs to deal with reality to be able to engage it effectively. You know, so this is our first magnanimous sacrifice example in this movie. And it's not, you know, it's not that he jumps onto a hand grenade or something like that, right? This is an emotional hand grenade that he's willing to give up a relationship and willing to give up a big chunk of his identity to potentially help somebody else up out of the pit and to go off and make the difference in the world that that person needs to make. I think these Alfred moments are hard to find sometimes. They seem so natural when Alfred manages them. But for us in our lives, when to drop the truth on somebody is really hard because it can be super emotionally charged where it's like we were holding back this truth on a good day because we think that it is contributing to a better overall ecosystem for somebody else, for us, for for the whole. But knowing that at some point the truth has to have it today. The problem is like, when do you drop that truth on somebody? When do you bring that out? And I think one of the models that we can look at from Alfred here is if the truth costs you but benefits somebody else, then that might be a good time to go ahead and lay the truth out there. That's a pretty good signal that you're not emotionally charged in a situation. You're not being selfish because you're going to pay the price for it. While they might have some pain, it's going to benefit them and you're the one who pays the cost. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that as kind of a little litmus test on, hey, should I be just throwing the truth out to somebody right now or is there a better moment for it? Well, yeah, I was thinking about that as you're talking. So I think what Alfred actually does here to Bruce is Bruce was already walking over the edge into this pit and Alfred, out of love, pushed him over the edge. And I think this is an interesting thing as well as, you know, when you have an act of compassion on somebody, there have to be very, very, very specific circumstances to do this. Okay. And it takes the utmost wisdom. And obviously this is a figurative example here. We're not actually pushing anybody into pits. However, people go through cycles and you see if you love them enough, 
I think that you know the cycles that they go through. And these are cycles where they bump up against the wall of what they could be, but they bounce off or they try to get up out of this pit and they fall or they're heading into one, right? And if you can get that to go faster in some way, and I think that's what Alfred's looking at here is like, well, I hope he survives. He's not leaving me a lot of choice. The macro forces in play are driving him towards this guy. So I'm just going to resign. I'm going to send him a clear signal. He just needs to go into this and get what he's trying to get out of it. And Alfred, in love, takes a risk. He takes a risk that that could destroy Bruce. However, he was already heading that way, right? And so when you love somebody, you really don't know how it's going to work out. But you have to have that hope for them and that you believe in their best qualities. However, that can shatter maybe some of the false hope and false belief that they have in themselves so that the real hope and real belief actually emerge. And I think that's what we see happen here. That's a good way to put it. And I think that to some extent, you know, this this movie is all about people's pasts, right? You know, Batman is always about his past, right? <laughs> How many versions of the Batman origin story have we seen? This movie is all about people like driving to, you know, avenge or fix or address or build on something that happened in the past. And what Alfred does in this scene is he takes that away. He's like, stop living in the past. It wasn't even what you thought it was. That thing that you're upset that you didn't have, you never had it and you weren't going to have it and you need to be moving forward. Right. And so it's it's incredibly harsh and painful, but it's also like you need to be in this moment now. You need to look at this world now and not be attached to the different versions of the story that you're telling yourself or that everybody else is telling about you. Yeah, and he helps to let go of the past. That's great insight there. Yeah, we can't and forge think, the new story unless we have the unless we, you know, unless we get <laughs> let go of the old story. And I think we have a parallel to that happening in the actual pit that Bane puts Bruce in. And it's weird because in our mountaintop moment, we have Alfred as the mentor, which is what we would all expect in this movie. And in the climbing out of the pit parallel moment where he has his real climb moment or his like really obvious climb moment, you have Bane as the mentor in that moment. So I think it's interesting to think about how once he's in that pit, the past almost ceases to exist. The only thing he's focused on at that point is the present and the future. And that helps to drive him forward. He has that little window into the outside world, the TV, and he can see what's going on in Gotham. And he's slowly coming to the realization internally that he has to let go of the past entirely. The only way out is through this eye of a needle, which is essentially the climb out to daylight from the pit. And his motivation for the climb now becomes the center point of this climb story. And it ties in nicely, right? You got to climb without the rope, like the tether to safety, the tether to the past is not the thing that will help you get out. Yeah, the climbing without the rope is one of the big obvious takeaways here, but I don't think we want to lose sight of it in terms of our wonder tour. Climbing without the rope to me means you have to be willing to give up your whole self without a safety net, because what does Alfred do in the first pit moment? Alfred pulls out the safety net, says, you've come back, you've fallen back to me so many times, I'm removing that safety net. And once he removes it, what happens? Bruce gets his back broken <laughs> by Bane. He doesn't have anybody there to pick him up. He doesn't, you know, nobody shows up to drag him back home. He gets dragged off to this pit where now there is no safety net. He needs to learn that, you know, you need to operate without a safety net, not for you, because that's what you tried to do the first time. You tried to just like throw yourself at the enemy. If you die, you die. It sounds selfless, but it's a very selfish way to live to just say, okay, well, the easiest thing for me to do is just throw myself at the wall of evil and see if I can dent it. 
<laughs> and if I die, I die. But I think as magnanimous leaders, we really want to give our whole self to something, which means we need to be passionate. We need to believe in something. We need to spread hope. And if that's the case, then there's a lot of times where the safety net is holding us back. That rope is holding us back because we're always thinking like, well, I can just reserve a little bit back here. And that little bit that we reserve keeps us from being able to make the climb. Yeah, no, that's really good. And the other thing, as you were talking, the other thing I was thinking is the callback to the Nightmare Before Christmas episode, right? Like he's kind of got the Jack Skellington thing of like, I'm going to do the normal thing that I always do. And maybe it'll work this time. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go try the punching him in the face a bunch of times and see if that helps. Like he hasn't thought about the new situation he's in. He doesn't really have a plan. He's just kind of doing his normal thing. And that's and that that fails. Right. He's still looking backwards. He's still in the old habits. He doesn't solve the new problem with the old habits. He has to learn some new ways of looking at the world, which is, as you said, a classic hero's journey arc going on here. All right. So we're coming back down off the mountaintop here. We've got our truth having its day. You know, Alfred is the first one that kind of kicks it off, starts to get it rolling with telling the painful truth out of compassion, but also kind of pushing out of the stasis, the false hope and belief so that we have a chance to examine it. And we're starting to let go of the rope. So where do we go from here? What do we learn from this and what's happening next? So to pull in our key takeaways here, I think we talked about how hope is best placed in a principle, not in a person. And that is the Batman lesson. Like you said, Brian, we talked about letting the truth have its day and really doing that in a compassionate way, not in a self-serving way, because you can use the truth as a weapon to be very self-serving. Then we talked about letting go of the past, how that's really one of the critical mechanisms to getting out of the pit. Now, how you let go of the past is really tough because sometimes we need to be at the bottom of the pit before we can let go of the past. And then to truly get out of a pit that we find ourselves in in our lives, whether it's, you know, you can end up in a pit and work, dead end role, essentially. It might You might be making good money, managing good people or something, but for you, it feels like it's a pit for one reason or another. You might end up in a pit because you loss of a loved one, something that feels like it's out of your control, just spirals you down into a pit. You might have had idealism and believe in great things and you trusted somebody and they let you down and they ran away with your money or with your property or with your blah, blah, blah. I think the key here to end on, though, is you got to pick a time to climb without a rope, because if we're always climbing with a rope, then we're always holding something back and we cannot escape the pit. Inherently, to get out of the pit, and Nolan does such a good job in this movie, you have to stop climbing with a rope. You have to have that fear of death, not for yourself, but for other people, because that's what we always talk about here on Wonder Tour, right, is we're doing these things for the good of others, which means, yeah, if it's just about me, then I can be Bruce Wayne and just splat at the bottom of the pit. Doesn't matter. But if it's about Gotham, if it's about all the people that he cares about, then he can't do that anymore. Then he has to survive. That fear comes back and it drives him and it makes him faster than possible. It makes him able to combat Bane and able to combat evil. And that's what we're going to get to in part two is, OK, now we've talked about how does Bruce slash Batman climb out of his own pit? And then how does he help everybody else to climb out of the pit that they're in and empower them? Nice. Well, and I want to call back to something that Derek said as soon as he logged on earlier that I really loved. Bruce needs Bane, right? Be grateful for your threats. Be grateful for the disruptions that force you to reevaluate your life or reevaluate your choices because those can provide really powerful clarity. And you might not realize what pit you're in. You know, you might not question whether you're at a local or a global maximum until you have that challenge. So I really love that, like, initial, like, oh, yeah, of course, of course he needs a pain. That's really cool. 
I think when you're seeking that and you are running up against that pain, it reveals fractures in your hope and belief. And if you can look at those fractures and analyze what's going on here, why do I have fractures in my hope and belief? I'd like to engage that a little bit in the uh, the next part here, because I think it's it's really interesting to see what plates of hope and belief do you have? And are they bumping up into each other or what is it, you know, right? How's your hope and belief not have integrity potentially, right? I think that's an interesting thought. Well, that's a perfect tee up for uh, our next episode where we'll examine how your own behaviors, your own, you know, demonstration and exploration of your hope and belief can inspire others and how that sort of servant leadership approach can lead to other people starting to examine their own hopes and belief and start the movement. So we're going to wrap it up here for Dark Knight Rises part one, and we will be back next week for part two with Derek. Look forward to seeing you then. Until then, just remember, character is destiny. <laughs>